Harper High School, south side of Chicago. First day of school this year, first thing in the morning, everybody gathers in the gym for a beginning of the year assembly. The school's principal, Leonetta Sanders, is at the mic. I need us to begin to quiet down. Sitting all together in a group of the freshmen, looking the way that freshmen do on the first day of school, like they barely know who they are. The class of 2016, where you at? The class of 2016, where you at? Down in front, sitting together, are the seniors, looking the way seniors do on the first day of school. And then my babies are here. My class of 2013, where you at? The program is one-third pep rally, two-thirds business, introductions and rules. Exactly the kind of first-day stuff you would expect at any school. Till it's not. Last year was a difficult year for most of us, for all of us in the Harper community. You know, um, and the freshmen may not know, but we lost three students last year. This is actually underplaying the bad news. Last year, 21 kids, current and recent Harper students, were wounded by gunshots. Five recent students died. And that is all on top of the three current students that Ms. Sanders mentioned. Total, 29 shot, eight of them dead. But we know that their spirits are with us. So right now, I just want to ask for a moment of silence and prayer as we think about and remember the students that have fallen. So at this time, I'm just going to ask that we take about 20, 30 seconds just for a moment of silence for Marcus Nunn, Cedric Vail, and Shikaki Asley. Right now. Watching this, it's hard not to think that if you grafted these facts onto another high school, in a wealthier place, maybe a suburb, dozens of students shot, three of them killed. In other places, that would be national news, right? We would all know the name of that school. It's worth uh, noting that this is a gym filled with hundreds of teenagers who this very same morning have been asked over and over to be quiet and who, like most teenagers, haven't exactly jumped to. When this moment comes, nothing moves. Praise God. And then high school resumes. At this time, again, for the freshmen and some new students that are here, my name is Leonetta Sanders. I am On Friday of this week, President Obama went to a Chicago high school and spoke about all the shootings happening in our cities. We've all heard so much lately about kids getting shot. Last weekend was the funeral of 15-year-old Hydea Pendleton, an honor student who was shot in a park in mid-afternoon in Chicago just a week after performing at an inaugural event in Washington. Last year, the number of murders in Chicago rose, while in many other big cities like New York and Los Angeles, it held steady or fell. It was 506 dead in Chicago last year. But of course, these deaths aren't evenly distributed all over the city. The majority are in a handful of neighborhoods, like this one. This is Englewood. Police statistics show that it is one of the most dangerous areas of the city. Though if you're picturing some kind of chaotic, depressing ghetto high school in the middle of all that, Harper is anything but. Amidst boarded-up houses and vacant lots, it is a four-story yellow brick building. The grounds are neat and beautiful. The halls, walls, classrooms, cafeteria, everything is well taken care of. There's order. Between passing periods, the halls are kept clear. It's clean. You can tell the staff likes the kids. Even the security guards. There are 16 for a student body of just 550 or so. They joke around. Let's go, fresh man, let's go. Not a fresh meat. (laughs) 
You can't be sleepy already. You just started. Principal Sanders sets the tone for the building. And just listen here to how she informs a girl who showed up on the first day of school out of uniform that the girl can never do that again. That's classic Harper. You're reprimanded, but with love. One consequence of all the violence last year, Ms. Sanders and other administrators had to spend a certain amount of this first day back to school trying to convince worried parents that it is safe to send their kids back to school here this year. None of last year's shootings actually happened at the school. Can I talk to him on the phone? Uh-uh. He don't want to come back. This is Assistant Principal Chad Adams and a mom who wants to transfer her son out. He doesn't want to come back, but he's been with us for two years. I know. And we've, we've put so much time and work and love into him, we want him to stay. I know. And what was the reason? You told me the grandmother said something. What was she saying again? She said she don't want him up here because they're fighting and the stuff going on. Is she worried about the killings? Yeah, that's what she's worried about. And people shooting and everyone? Yeah. Yeah. So even if we've got someone to come to his house every morning and pick him up, or like if I drove over to his house every morning and picked him up, you, you still wouldn't want him to come. This is not, by the way, a theoretical question. Administrators do pick up some kids and drive them to school. Here at our radio show, we first heard about Harper this summer when our colleague, Linda Lutton, who covers education at our home station, WBEZ in Chicago, did a story about the death of a 16-year-old sophomore named Shikaki Aspie, who played on the school's basketball team. Shikaki was shot while standing on a porch, talking to a friend near the end of the school year. Her murder was such a blow to the staff and the students that even Principal Sanders, who's been at the school for years and is definitely not easy to rattle, even Principal Sanders said that it made her wonder if she could continue doing this work. She showed Linda this list that she'd been keeping for a year at that point of all the kids who had been shot from Harper. Shikaki was number 27. All of us here knew, of course, about the murders in Chicago, but when we heard Linda's story about this one school with 27 shootings at that point in a year, we thought this is a school that knows this problem in a way that most of us around the country never see, don't know. And we wondered, what if we spent a long period of time there to witness what they're witnessing? Harper agreed to let us send three reporters in, starting at the beginning of the school year. And they gave us unusual access for more than five months, for a full semester. When violence struck, they let us record the administrators as the administrators jumped into action. They led us into private, difficult meetings with parents and students. And we watched the staff try to recover from the terrible year that they had last year and try to make this year different. As you'll hear, they devote incredible energy to trying to keep their students alive. So much happened that we could not fit this all into one program. So what we're going to do is we're going to start our story at Harper this week, and we're going to continue it next week. From WBEZ Chicago, it's This American Life, distributed by Public Radio International. I'm Ira Glass. I hope you'll stay with us. So our reporters today and next week are Linda Lutton, who covers Chicago schools for our home station, WBEZ, like I said. Ben Calhoun from our staff, who used to be a Chicago reporter. And Alex Kotlowitz, who's written many times over the years about violence in Chicago and its effect on kids growing up there. And let's just start. Let's start by uh, jumping ahead a little ways into the school year. Fract one, rules to live by, from Linda. Two weeks after that first day assembly, Assistant Principal Chad Adams, the same guy you heard trying to convince a mom to re-enroll her kid in Harper this year, 
is in the hallways. He spots a sophomore, a new kid, a transfer student named Jordan. So you were at Millbourne? Did you know... Um, uh, Mr. Adams tells Jordan he needs to talk to him in his office. There have been changes in his schedule, he says. Though this is just a ploy. They go to his office, and Mr. Adams gets to the real purpose. He asks Jordan where he lives. Uh, safe night in Loomis. Safe night in Loomis? Yeah. So... That way. Who's on that block? Like, what's your name? You know. Who's on that block? Who runs that block? What Mr. Adams is trying to figure out is what gang Jordan is affiliated with and what gangs he might potentially have conflicts with here at Harper. Without hesitating, Jordan tells Mr. Adams he's affiliated with a gang called Face World, and they're friendly with a half dozen other gangs. They're clicked up, kids say. Well, we clicked up with J-Town right there on 69th. Who else are y'all clicked up with? Uh, Hoodville, Low Block, Hit Squad, COP. We got a lot, a lot of people want to get into it with us, though. I ain't gonna lie. I know y'all, your name was hot last spring. What was going on last spring? It's a war zone around now. I can't lie, it's just war zone. People like us, we so close to each other, it don't make no sense. Cause we right, our opposition is right down the street. Literally, it's on the next block. So like, we on 70th the Rockwell, and they on 71st the Rockwell. That's how close we is. So. They talk about this for 15 minutes, and what's remarkable is how matter-of-fact it is. They might as well be talking about what bus Jordan needs to take home, or where the cafeteria is. There's no shame to admitting your gang affiliation. It's nothing you have to keep secret. Mr. Adams has one more goal for this meeting. All right, so <clears throat> I haven't met you yet because you weren't here last year, but I'm Mr. Adams. I'm the assistant principal. This is my office. All right, so can we make an agreement today that if, if something happens in the block or... Something, something happens in the school that you'll, um, that you'll come to me to help you fix the problem, and we'll use this. Adams points to his head. Look at me, Mr. Rogers. We'll use this instead of this. He points to his fist. Can we make an agreement? See, I make an agreement like if something happened in school, like if something happened in school, I'll probably come to you and tell you like what's going down, but outside it's a whole different story. And I'm not saying that I want to be able to help you with your problems outside the school. I'm just saying if something happens on the block that might lead back into the building, that you'll come to me so we can fix it here so you don't have to worry about it here. Uh, I'll try to keep my word on that. I'll try to make, keep that agreement, but it's probably going to be hard, though. Okay. You know, and that's okay. I know it's going to be hard. It's not an easy agreement. If it's... If it's with, if it's, if I get to a problem with that Baco, if I get to a problem with one of Baco hood people in this school, I ain't gonna lie. I'm probably not even gonna come to you. I'm probably just gonna do it right there, cause the problem escalated. Cause ain't no talking with them. Maybe you think you have an idea of how street gangs operate. Crips and Bloods, people and folks, controlling huge swaths of a city, shooting it out over drug territory, a single gang leader controlling thousands of members, a strictly enforced hierarchy branching out underneath him, with gang colors and hats tilted to the right or left. For this hour, forget all that. The gangs in the Englewood neighborhood today are not those gangs. 
There's no central leader, no hierarchy, no colors. The fights aren't over drug territory. In fact, lots of these gangs aren't even selling drugs. They're different gangs with different rules. These rules apply absolutely to boys. Girls get slightly more leeway. Rule number one, look at a map. When I ask kids what their parents don't understand about gangs these days, they say it's this. Their parents tell them not to join a gang, as if there's some initiation to go through, some way to sign up. Today, whether or not you want to be in a gang, you're in one. If you live on pretty much any block near Harper High School, you have been assigned a gang. Your mother bought a house on 72nd and Hermitage, you're S-Dub. You live across the street from the school, that's D-Ville. When you ask kids or cops or school staff how it got like this, they'll tell you that at one point, this whole area was controlled pretty much by a single gang, the Gangster Disciples. But, and this is how most people tell this part of the story, Chicago police have been so effective at locking up the big gang leaders that the hierarchy of those gangs has crumbled, and that's left a lot of room for newcomers. Your gang might control nothing more than the block you live on. In Harper's attendance area alone, which is a couple square miles, there are more than 15 gangs, also known as cliques, sets, factions, or crews. Some don't have anyone in charge, but they do have guns. That's what every kid has told me. Otherwise, why would you call yourself a gang, they say. Aaron Washington is a police officer assigned to Harper. He's there seven hours a day, seems to know every kid in the school. He says that for protection, for survival, kids walk to school with the kids in their clique, often through enemy territory. So I ask him, what if I'm a kid and I really don't want any part of this gang stuff? How can I avoid it? You can't. It's not going to happen. He says it used to be possible to be neutral, what they called a neutron. There is no neutrons anymore. It used to be, if you played sports, or you were academically better than the average kid, they didn't bother you. Now it's different. It doesn't matter. If you live here, you're part of them. You know, you live on that block or you live in that area, you're one of them. The way they get to school, they have to come to school with one of these factions, one of these gangs. They're going to come to school with them. They don't have a choice. I can hardly believe that a Chicago police officer is telling me this, admitting that kids don't have a choice about being gang-affiliated. I've never heard police talk like this. Later, I ask Officer Washington if he'll get in trouble for saying this. I mean, aren't cops supposed to just tell kids, hey, don't join a gang? I'll put it like this. I'm not saying it's okay to be in a gang. I'm not saying I approve of it, I agree with it. If I could take them all and say, hey, look here, ain't no gangs, you know. <laughs> I'd do that. But this ain't a fairy tale. And this is the point. Gangs aren't the bad kids in the corner here. They're the defining social structure in the school. It's who you sit with at lunch, the kids you say hi to in the hallway. It's the water everybody swims in. Assistant Principal Adams guesses that fewer than 10% of Harper students are actually gangbanging. That is, active on the block, involved in crime. 
He thinks all the rest of the kids in the school are just caught up by where they live. Okay, so rule number one is know your geography. Rule number two, never walk by yourself. One day at dismissal, I thought I saw a freshman walking home alone. I, I stop you because you're walking by yourself. But I was wrong. You're walking with them. Larnell pointed over his shoulder at a couple of girls about 15 feet back. So you're actually walking with the girls back there? Yeah, I always walk with people. What's the advantage? It's not trying to get jumped on or shot. Because they be fighting, shooting up here almost every day. Because won't nobody mess with somebody in a group, walking in a group. And that's true, but it's complicated because of rule number three. Rule number three, never walk with someone else. See, walking in a group can send its own message. If you're with a group of boys in Englewood, on your porch, walking home from school, you're highlighting your affiliation, which makes you more of a target. It's a huge catch-22 for kids in this neighborhood. If you walk alone, you risk being jumped. If you walk with someone else, you risk being labeled as a gang member and being shot. Rule number four, don't use the sidewalk. Every day at dismissal, kids drift out of Harper High School and walk along Wood Street, actually right down the middle of Wood Street. It's a strange scene. Cars drive slowly, waiting for students to move out of the way. One teacher told me that when she first arrived at Harper, she thought this was just plain hooliganism, the teenagers taking over. One afternoon, a girl named Alex explained, that's not it at all. We feel safer like this. For some reason, we just feel safe like that. We never like to walk past the trees and stuff. There's too much stuff going on. Too much stuff going on is shorthand here for the shootings, the fights, the craziness. It's better to walk down the middle of the street where you can keep a broad view of things and where you have a few more seconds to run if you need to. Rule number five, if they shoot, don't run. 12th grader Antorio is on the Harper High School football team. In fact, he's one of the best running backs in the entire city of Chicago. On the field, he zips around linemen like they're not even there, cutting and weaving and then racing for the end zone. Those are skills he purposefully ignores when shot at. I fall to the ground. That's your strategy? Yeah. Because if you run, you probably get shot in the back or something like that. So I just fall to the ground. Most people like shoot from like, say if we like in front of my house, shoot from the corner or do a drive out of cars. So I just fall to the ground. Okay, by now you may be wondering if these gangs aren't fighting over drug territory, what are the shootings about? That brings us to rule number six. Rule number six you can be shot for reasons big and small. If you ask the police or school officials or kids what the shootings are about, they'll mention girls, money owed. There was a paintball incident that led to real guns going off. Petty stuff, like losing a fist fight, he said, she said arguments. Often they'll tell you a shooting is over nothing. Retaliation for earlier shootings is a big reason for getting shot. Shootings can ping pong back and forth between rival gangs for years. Of course, you can also be shot for walking off your block. And finally, rule number seven, never go outside. When I asked kids for advice about staying alive in this neighborhood, they told me the best advice was to stay away from your block as long as possible, every day. Get involved in something at school so you can stay as late as they let you. When you do go home, don't leave the house. Don't even go on the porch. 
If you want to see the lengths you have to go to to not be part of the gang, you should meet a senior named Deontay. Being anti-gang is Deontay's entire identity. He's an outspoken Christian. He holds Bible study in his living room. Other kids come to him for advice, a role he wholly embraces. He's poised to be the valedictorian. When you talk to Deontay, you get a sense of what it takes to stay away from the gangs. Do you ever go out, like, just around the neighborhood? Oh, no. No, not at all. And in a way, that can be bad as well, because that's when depression is easy to set in. That took a hold on me, because I've been in the house for about three years. I've been staying in the house a lot. Do you feel lonely? I'm at times. Times I feel lonely. At times I would want to have some friends, because I'm not, not really friends with anybody. If you think about high school, how important friends are during that time, imagine going through that with your whole goal being to avoid your school's social structure completely for four years. It's an incredibly high price to steer clear of the violence. It's a price most teenagers anywhere would find almost impossible to pay. 